We're talking about how to overcome, and have been now for a few weeks here, and we find here back in the early pages of Genesis a model, I think, on how to overcome, and he's a picture of Jesus Christ, no less, and I'm talking about Joseph. You know, they say that these Old Testament and even people in the New Testament times, many of them died for the faith, and that was commendable. But you know, in these 21st century days, all we have to do is live for the faith, and sometimes that seems harder, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems hard to overcome. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to Genesis, if you would, chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We're talking about how to overcome, and have been now for a few weeks here, and we find here back in the early pages of Genesis a model, I think, on how to overcome, and he's a picture of Jesus Christ, no less, and I'm talking about Joseph. You know, they say that these Old Testament and even people in the New Testament times, many of them died for the faith, and that was commendable. But you know, in these 21st century days, all we have to do is live for the faith, and sometimes that seems harder, doesn't it? Sometimes it seems hard to overcome. Well, Joseph was an overcomer, and as this chapter opens here, we find out he's been sold into slavery. He lands in Egypt. He's bought off the auction block by a fellow by the name of Potiphar, and everything's going great. He's doing well. He's elevated in the household of Potiphar until Potiphar's wife sets her fancy on Joseph. And she begins to seduce him and try to tempt him. We find out that Joseph continually says, no, I can't do this. I can't dishonor God this way. I couldn't do this to your husband. I couldn't blow my testimony. And there are so many things that uh, are at stake when we do something like she wanted Joseph to do. But he kept refusing her until finally she got very aggressive. And sin, folks is very aggressive. Never forget that. It'll start by getting the toe in the door and creaking the door a little bit wider at that hinge there, and and pretty soon it'll have its whole foot in the door and the knee and, and the body, and then it gets aggressive. So don't even let it get its foot in the door. Well, Joseph couldn't go get another job, unfortunately. And so working in that household day after day, she finally gets very aggressive, and she grabs him by the coat, and he leaves the coat in her hand, and he flees, And that's where we pick it up here in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse number 13. Notice with me, it says, And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until his Lord, that's Potiphar, came home. And she spake unto him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which thou hast brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. And it came to pass, as I lifted up my voice and cried, that he left his garment with me and fled out. And it came to pass, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant unto me, that his wrath was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy 
and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, Joseph, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. I'd like to continue today talking about this subject, how to overcome. Let's pray before we begin. Now, our Heavenly Father, we ask you, dear Lord, to bless this time in thy word. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to listen carefully. And we pray that you would give to us the practicality of your word and the instruction that cometh forth from it to help us in this century, in these last days, to be overcomers. We pray for that grace. We ask it all now in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old kid's Christian song that goes something like this. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. He took six days to make the moon and the stars, sun and earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be, for he's still working on me. God is always working on us. God never gives up on us. God is never satisfied with where we're at. Because if he left us to ourselves, we'd just stay where we're at, wouldn't we? We'd become stagnant, and God knows that. And so God never quits working on us. He always tries to take us to higher ground. He always tries to bring us to the next level. He always has for us a higher purpose in our Christian lives. Well, Joseph here had one setback after another. But what's so encouraging as I read this is to find out that no matter what happened, as he suffered one setback after another, God was with him. And you find that in several verses. Notice in verse 2 of this chapter. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph. So here he is sold into Egyptian bondage, but God's still with him. Notice in verse number 21, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph. Now we find him in a dungeon, but God's still there. Everything's against him. But even in verse 23, right in the middle of that verse, it says, because the Lord was with him. So others might have rejected Joseph and others might have forsaken Joseph. But God never did. God's still with us. And I love that promise in the Bible where he says, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Now, we see several things in this life of Joseph. First of all, we find him surviving abuse. Man, he was abused by his brothers. And those brothers were really rats, weren't they? They were losers. I mean, they were evil, really. And they did all this stuff to him because they were jealous of him. And we could talk about their character and their incest and their murder and and all these other things only to be outdone by daddy Jacob, Jacob who is a passive dad and really a mess himself. So we find out that Joseph comes from what we would call a dysfunctional family, and I think that would be an understatement. But we find out he survives that abuse, and probably the worst kind of abuse, rejection. Rejection. Have you ever really experienced rejection? Joseph was rejected by his brothers, by many others as well. Rejection hurts. But you know, Joseph comes through that with flying colors. So we find him surviving abuse. But secondly, we find him sidestepping allurement, temptation, seduction. We find out that he's tempted by Potiphar's wife, who I believe was a beautiful woman. I believe Potiphar could have married anyone he wanted. So he picked the the cream of the crop. And here's this beautiful woman day after day coming after Joseph. You know, we all face temptations, and especially in these last days. And it's so different from even when I was in high school or when some of you were in high school who are older than me. But we live in a sex-saturated society, don't we? 
I mean, it screams to us from every front here. How are we going to overcome that? Well, first of all, by grace. We need God's grace to overcome it. Secondly, we need to stay away from the border. That's how I put it. We need to keep a safe distance from those things which will cause us to stumble, yea, and even fall on the wrong side of the border. So we need grace. We need to stay away from the border. And we need to up our love for the Lord, if you want to put it that way. That needs to be cultivated. The Bible says, keep yourselves in the love of the Lord. You know, I'm glad you're in church today and praise God for that. But I can't keep you in the love of the Lord. Nobody else can keep you in the love of the Lord. And that's why the Bible says, keep yourselves in the love of the Lord. I'm responsible to keep myself right with, myself right with God and walking with God. And we all are in the same way. So keep your safe distance from those temptations. Look to God for His grace and keep yourself in love with Him. Joseph did those things and he was able to sidestep allurement. But thirdly, we find him suffering accusation. And he's accused of something that he never did. It's a lie. It's a whopper. And Potiphar's wife made sure she gave her side of the story before Joseph did. And really, I don't think he ever got a chance to tell his side. But she uses half-truths, doesn't she? And we looked at that last time. Oh, he came unto her. Yeah, that much is true. And uh, she cried out, and that much is true. But only after he had refused her advances... I think she cried, Joseph, come back. And after he wouldn't, then she makes a big scene about it. But notice, he lands in prison nonetheless. And you and I would say, that's not fair. He's a, a, a child of God. What's he doing languishing in jail? Doesn't seem right. Well, in case you haven't figured it out yet, it's not a perfect little, little world. Have you noticed that? And if you're one of those justice people and you've got to have everything even, Stephen, forget it. You're going to go through life very frustrated. Doesn't matter if you're a child of God. Life's not fair. And never has been, it never will be. And yet we have a promise in Romans 9.14. It says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. There's no unrighteousness with God. We find out that God is a just God. Now, the score is not settled yet. And really, God's patient. God is eternal. And God will settle the score in His good time, maybe in this life, maybe in the next life. But is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. So what do we do? Well, we trust God with our injustices. Because we're all maligned, we're all mistreated, some of us rejected, and so on. What do we do? Well, we trust God with all those injustices. Don't play the Holy Spirit. Don't uh, take that justice upon yourself. Don't say, vengeance is mine, saith me. No. God says, vengeance is His, saith the Lord. He'll handle the injustices there. Don't try and do God's job for Him. And then also, remember that you and I have never encountered anything even close to what Jesus Christ has encountered. We have never gone through anything close to what Christ went through. We've never come close to suffering to the degree that Christ has suffered. We read in 1 Peter 2.23 of Christ, it says, "...who, when He was reviled, reviled not again." When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I love those words and I've highlighted them. Committed himself to who? Him, God, that judgeth righteously. Can we do that when an injustice comes our way? Can we give it to God? Can we place it in his hands? Can we hand it over to him basically? You know, Joseph's concern as I study his life was not to get out of trouble, not to tell his side of the story, but to submit to the will of God, to commit himself unto him. Now, 
apparently for Joseph, at this time in his life, the will of God for him was a dungeon. Imagine that. God's will being a prison. We're not talking an American jail here. We're talking an Egyptian dungeon. We're talking a horrible place here. But Joseph still has hope. It's incredible. How does he, how does he keep going? Well, number one, he keeps his focus on God. Secondly, he keeps his heart right. Not bitter. You and I tend to get bitter at that point, don't we? And maybe you sit here today bitter over something. But keep your eyes on God. Keep your heart right with God. And, and trust God, most of all. May I give you a great verse? Isaiah 26.3, it says, Thou, speaking of the Lord, will keep Him, that's us, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. You know, you could probably do with a whole lot less counseling or psychiatry or psychology or pills or whatever else it might be in this world that people turn to if we would just commit this verse to memory, meditate upon it, think about what it's really saying, and best of all, put it to practice. What a promise here. Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. So Joseph kept his focus on God. He kept his heart right with God, didn't get bitter. And fourthly, he tapped into God's grace. Tapped into God's grace. There was a time when Paul, the apostle, really needed the grace of God. I mean, he was going through the mill. And we find him saying this of God back to him. God repeated to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What a promise there. God says, really all you need is my grace, and my grace will be sufficient for thee. And he says, my strength, God's strength, is made perfect in weakness. When we're weak, when we're going through it, God's grace is available. God's grace is there. So Joseph just kept his focus on God, and he kept trying to please God. And I picture Joseph continually looking over his shoulder, going through the mill, but glancing toward heaven and saying, is my life pleasing to you? Is what I'm doing pleasing to you? We have a promise from God's Word as long as we're trying to please God. And it's found in Proverbs 16:7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Think about that. Now that's going to come to fruition in the life of Joseph, isn't it? If a man's ways please the Lord, he, God, maketh even his enemies, that man's enemies, to be at peace with him. Maybe you're a young person sitting here today and you're having some trouble uh, with your schoolmates, or having some trouble at home with your parents, do your ways please God? Ask yourself that. Maybe you're a spouse here today, and, and, and you're going through it. But do your ways please God? That's all you need to worry about. As a preacher, that's all I worry about. Wherever you work at, that's all you need to worry about. Maybe there are injustices there. Maybe some things happen that aren't fair. But if a man's ways please the Lord, that's all that matters. And in time, by God's grace... He'll make even your enemies to be at peace with you. Just please God. Joseph's not nearly as worried about being in prison as he is about pleasing God. Am I pleasing God? Now, pleasing God doesn't mean there will never be an injustice. You'll never face an injustice. Well, I'm pleasing God. Nothing's ever going to go wrong. No, it'll mean it doesn't matter as long as you're pleasing God. I've been saved 30 years now. I've known the Lord for 30 years. Praise God for that. There have been plenty of injustices. I have pastored going on 25 years now. There are plenty of days where there are injustices. I have learned one thing in those 25 years. 
The devil hates me. <laughs> you ever learned that along the way? Okay. The devil absolutely hates you and he puts a bullseye on you. And there's going to be a lot of opposition. And there are going to be days when you could say, man, I could make a whole lot more money doing something else and, and have a lot less hassles than this. And you can get to having a pity party. But, but honestly, just please God. That's all that matters. Is my life, is your life pleasing God? I just want to be in the middle of his will. Don't you? I just want to be in the middle of his plan. Really, that's all that matters. And I just want to keep my own heart right before God and trust him. And trust him, basically. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Isn't that a great verse? Commit thy way. Whatever that way is, just commit it unto him. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. May I add to that a classic? Proverbs 3.5 Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. You see, that's the mistake we make. Well, to me it seems, no, no, lean not unto thine own understanding. Yeah, but the way I figure it, no, lean not unto thine own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, heart. Not half your heart, not most of your heart, but all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. Joseph practiced that. I'm sure he didn't understand what was going on. I'm sure there were times when he looked up and he said, Lord, aren't I pleasing thee? What's going on? But yet he's a picture of Christ, remember? And again that verse... 1 Peter 2.23, speaking of Christ, says, When he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Can we do that? I know it's hard. I know it's easier said than done. But can we commit ourselves unto him, God, that judgeth righteously? Just give it over to the Lord. I remember back in Bible college, there's a pastor who pastors about 100 miles north and west of here. And been a dear friend of mine for years. And, and he was talking about the pastorate. Of course, none of us young men were in it yet. But he, were, he was talking about some of the injustices and the things that you put up with. And, and he said, gentlemen, he said, I've learned one thing over the years. He said, you can't change people. You can only change the way you react to people. I've never forgotten that. That's a golden nugget. It really is. And, and you're going to go through life really frustrated trying to change people. Forget it. Let God change them. You know who you need to work on? I need to work on? Umwa, right here. You're not going to change people. You can only change the way you react to people. And when life gives you a hard time, or when someone gives you a hard time, just know this. God is up to something. Don't ever forget that. God is up to something. Draw strength from that, okay? Don't worry about justifying yourself. Don't worry about protecting your image. Don't worry, don't worry about making sure that everybody knows the truth of the matter here. Don't worry about coming up on top here. Just trust, plain and simple. And we find here in chapter 39, notice it says in verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever he did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, Joseph, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Notice, Joseph gets mercy even in prison. And why? Well, because he had shown mercy. Are you merciful? Am I merciful? If, we are, if we're strong in that justice department, 
If we want revenge, if we want our pound of flesh, if we want all our wrongs righted, I'm telling you, when it comes time that we need mercy, we're not going to get it. God says to those things, just let it go. And I preached on that recently. Just leave it alone. We find this in 2 Samuel twenty-two twenty-six. It says, with the merciful, thou, God, wilt show thyself merciful. That's a verse we ought to get down in our heart of hearts and put it to practice for the rest of our lives. If we expect to be shown mercy at those times when our backs are to the wall, we better be merciful. If you're Mr. Justice, if you're Mrs. Righteousness, watch out. You are going to reap what you sow. And you're going to give somebody a hard time when they need mercy. And guess what you're going to get when, when uh, you want mercy. And if you're one of those who can't overlook anything, just watch out. With the merciful, God will show himself mercy. Well, Joseph's not sitting in his cell there plotting revenge. He's not thinking about his evil, twisted brothers. He's not thinking about those Ishmaelites who sold him into slavery. He's not thinking about that Potiphar who put him in prison. He's not thinking about Potiphar's wife. He's not even thinking about the guard who was giving him a hard time. His eyes are on the Lord, plain and simple. Can we keep our eyes on the Lord at such a time? When we are suffering accusation, can we keep our eyes on God? How do we react when somebody's sin puts us in a bad spot? How do we react when somebody's stupidity causes us a heartache? And that's exactly what's happening to Joseph here. Joseph, as far as he knows, is going to be in prison for the rest of his life. Now, we know the end of the story, but it hasn't unfolded at this point. We have a young man in his 20s here, and he's in a dungeon, and he's going to be there for the rest of his life. How would you react if it were you? I mean, what kind of an attitude would you have? We find here there's no pity party with Joseph. There's no poor, poor little me. Remember, he's a picture of Christ. And like Christ, we read in Hebrews 12, 3, it says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. When our backs are to the wall like that, when we're in a low ebb of life, when we're going through a valley, consider him. I love those two words. Consider him. Who's him? Christ. That endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And boy, from the time he was born, it was there. It says, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Joseph had a great attitude in the midst of his all, and, and that's why he was able to overcome. And it was that attitude, beloved, that took him to the top. We've, we've called him uh, that weeble that just kept getting knocked down and bouncing back, or, or the bozo, the, the, the bouncing clown that you had when you were kids, you know, just keeps popping right back up again. And that attitude took Joseph to the top. And no matter where you put Joseph, I mean, he rose to the top. And when life dealt him lemons, he made lemonade. And we find him continually reaching the top of his class, and now he's the head of the prison, if you can imagine that. Imagine the head of the prison who was over him, the head guard throwing Joseph the keys, basically going and playing cards himself and trusting a prisoner with the prisoners. There's really something to be said for Joseph, for somebody to have that kind of trust in him. What a testimony we find there. Notice in verse 23 again. It says, The keeper of the prison... Look not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with Joseph, him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. So we find him suffering accusation. He comes through it with flying colors. But fourthly, we see what I call a slipping anticipation. What do you do when your hopes get dashed? When you anticipate a better outcome, when you see a ray of hope, 
When you think, all right, here's the way out, here's the silver lining, all of a sudden, whoop, the rug is pulled out from under you. Well, Joseph gets a little ray of hope here, but then it slips once again. His hopes are dashed. We pick it up in chapter 40 in verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things, that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Here we find that Joseph now is in the dungeon. We saw last time in the Psalms that there was a time period his feet were in fetters, and, and, and those fetters hurt. He was in irons, in shackles. But his attitude took him out of the shackles and to the head of the prison ministry, if you want to call it that there. And now he has the keys to the jail, if you will, and he's serving all the other prisoners there. And one day these two guys land in jail. One's the head butler, one is the head baker of of, uh, Pharaoh. And they had done something. What had they done? Well, I don't know exactly. I can speculate a little bit. But we find out that the baker would have made the food for the, the Pharaoh himself and his household there. And the butler would have brought it in and was also responsible for tasting it. Because somebody could assassinate Pharaoh very easily just by poisoning him. So that baker was very entrusted. Because anyone could bribe him, but the butler would, would end up dead. So those two would have to collaborate. And maybe, you know, the baker was out to get Pharaoh. And the butler kind of gets sucked into the scheme here. I don't know, but for whatever reason, they're both now in jail here. And we find out that Joseph serves them. Now, this whole mess with Joseph really started at age uh, 17. And we know from the next chapter that by the time he finally gets out of jail, he's going to be 30. Now, you do the math. Imagine somebody taking away 13 years of your life. 13 of the best years of your life. It was one abuse after another. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was lied about. He's tortured in prison for a time here. And now he's going nowhere in jail. And and, and in all of this, Joseph continues to have character. He continues to grow in potential. But maybe, just maybe, he's wondering what he's done wrong. I mean, when things go, go bad, we say, God, what's, what's the problem here? What am I doing wrong? And maybe he thinks God's forgotten him. Maybe he thinks God's forgotten his dreams. Remember those dreams? I mean, he had no question what those dreams meant. And, and anyone who heard the dreams knew exactly what they meant. Joseph was going to the top. He was going to lead over his family. He was going to be a big man one day. But now those dreams are rotting on the vine. I mean, they're coming to nothing. But here's Joseph in jail. What's he doing? Well, he's keeping a good attitude. I believe he's using his time wisely. I believe he's getting closer to God during this time. Not using it as an excuse to backslide like we do. But he's getting closer to God. And he's hanging on to his dreams. It's incredible. Staying on the top side. And now he's going to hear a couple of dreams. And he's going to have the opportunity to interpret them. And it's obvious, really, what the interpretation is. Now, here's this baker, here's this butler. They're thrown into jail, and they both have a dream. And we don't read the whole chapter here. But the butler says, I, I had this dream. And uh, in this particular dream, I think he begins to talk about in verse number uh, 10. 
He says, in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossom shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup unto Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph goes, I know what this means. (laughs) He said, those three branches, all these threes mean three days. And he said, really, at the end of three days, you're going to be restored to your original position as a head butler, and you're going to serve Pharaoh once again. But he said, when you do, he said, please don't forget me. Notice in verse 14, he says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that I should be, uh, that they should put me in the dungeon. So it's a good interpretation, good dream, and all he asks is when you get out of this place, don't forget me. Well, the baker here is the good interpretation. And what would you think? Hey, 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 this is good news. Give me my interpretation. Well, it's not as good a news. We find out that the baker is going to die according to his dream, and he does. But the butler does get out. Notice in verse 21, And he, Pharaoh, restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Notice, forgot him. Here's this slipping anticipation. Here's this little ray of hope that for at least a moment, Joseph got. But now it's shattered. And it leaves Joseph waiting. All his high hopes now are are down a rat hole. It's all gone. The door opened for just a moment, and, and now it's slammed shut once again. And it's looking like he'll never get out of here. And there are two more years that go by. In fact, in chapter 41 and verse 1, it says, And it came to pass at the end of two full Years. We'll look at that next time. But here's his dream slipping away. Thirteen years he's waiting for it to be fulfilled. You know, we all have dreams. At least we should. We all have goals. We all have desires. We all have uh, those things that we, we are seeking. And, and yet, do you ever feel like your life is slipping away? And with it, those dreams? And it's just not happening? You know, they talk about a, a midlife crisis. What is a midlife crisis? Well, that's when you look back and you realize your best years are probably gone. Now, it's not always true. It's not normally true. But all those things you wanted to accomplish, all those plans you had, all those schemes you made, all those dreams you dreamed, there it is, and it hasn't happened yet. And life goes by fast. If you haven't noticed it yet, life can be an absolute blur. The earliest recollection I have of my life was was when we moved to a new house in 1962, and I was two years old. And my mom, for whatever reason, went to answer the door. And I, she was holding me. I looked out, and the house was pink. Now, I didn't know what pink was, even as a two-year-old. Because shortly afterwards, I looked outside, and the house was green. I didn't know what green was. I just know that I grew up with a green house. But when I was in my teen years, my dad had us repaint the house. So I was scraping the house, and get, guess what color was underneath it? It was pink. And I'm going, all right, we had just moved in here. We know the year. So here I am at two, and I remember something from that. I remember something from when I was three and a half. I remember the JFK assassination. I didn't really know what was going on. I just remember everybody was shook. Everybody's watching TV, and they kept showing this stuff over and over and over again. 
But there I am as a three-year-old, basically, and then as a five-year-old, obviously you remember everything from kindergarten or many things from kindergarten. I remember birthday presents and Christmas presents, little little uh, moldable Batman figures and Viewmasters and getting all these kind of things. I remember the day we were playing in our backyard and my brother came out and said that Martin Luther King Jr. had been assassinated. I would have been uh, seven, nearly eight at the time, but I'll never forget that. Of course, I didn't really know what was going on, but... My older brother, Scotty, explained that all to me. You know, I remember uh, many times working for my dad at the mobile home court. I remember, uh, obviously, uh, watching the Vikings on Sunday afternoons and, and going out at halftime and playing ball and trying to mimic the, the players that were our heroes. I remember getting my driver's license at 16. I remember uh, my first electrical job. I remember moving to Mentor in, in, in my last two years and from there going off to college in Wapaton. And, and uh, you could talk about all those things, but really the pivotal point of my life was salvation at age 20. And it's been 30 years since that time I'm telling you, it's been an absolute blur. And, and there are times I look at myself and I go, how did I get here? You ever do that? How did I get to this age already? Where did that time go? How did that happen? Here's Joseph in his late teens, and he spends those late teens and 20s up to the age of 30 in prison. And his life is just flying by. And his dreams are being shattered. And the rug has been pulled out from underneath. And all this has gone up in smoke. And yet he's keeping this good attitude. 1 Peter 2 verse 20 says, For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? That's good. But if you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. In other words, if you're buffeted for your faults and you say, All right, I got it coming. That's good. But if you're doing well and you still suffer, but you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. How do we deal with setbacks? And we all face some. Well, how can we deal with setbacks? Number one, you just keep serving God where you're at. You kind of bloom where you're planted. And that's what Joseph did. He just kept on going. If you're waiting for everything to be perfect, if you're waiting for everything to be right, if you've got a perfectionist attitude that says, well, I'll serve God when everything has worked its way out, you'll never serve God. Never. So bloom where you're planted, serve where you're at, and secondly, seize Every opportunity, at every corner, wherever God places you in life, whatever God has you going through, just look at that as God's will and trust Him with it. What Joseph was going through at this time was the will of God. Now, if Joseph would have been like me or you, uh, he'd have been moaning, all right? And he'd have been complaining. He'd have told those servants, get your own food, wash your own clothes, whatever it might be. But we find out he kept on serving, no matter what. We find out in verse 4 of our chapter here, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, the butler and the baker, and he served them. Did you catch that when we read that? And he served them, and they continued a season in ward. Can you and I keep on serving God no matter what? Or do we get so caught up in ourselves and so focused on ourselves and so, so much feeling sorry for ourselves that we miss that opportunity. Joseph has this slipping anticipation. And it looks like he's never going to get out of there. But he keeps that attitude right. He keeps that heart right. He does not get bitter. He keeps his eyes on the Lord. And he keeps on serving. What a great way to overcome. Amen. 
You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.